And that's never the point. The church is supposed to represent Jesus. And I want to say oh. this to them all the time, right? It, they, it's, I can't go there because I don't agree with everything they say or because that church isn't, isn't for me and, or I don't get anything out of it. And the point of church is not you ever. The point of church is always Jesus, has been since the beginning of churches, like since Jesus. That's how it all starts. That's actually how theology starts. Welcome to Where We Belong, a podcast where we dive into questions surrounding what it means to belong to a community of faith, how we do that well, and why it often feels so hard. I'm Lauren from Whitworth's Office of Church Engagement, and I'm excited to walk with you as we puzzle through big questions that a lot of us are asking about the church, about culture, and about our place in the body of Christ. So if you are a church leader, a church skeptic, an all-in church member, or fall somewhere in between, I invite you to join us in these conversations as we wrestle with the truth that, whether we like it or not, we are claimed by the community of faith, and it's where we belong. Welcome. I am so excited to bring you along with me in today's conversation with my dear friend, Samantha, otherwise known around here as Dr. Samantha Miller. She is an assistant professor of theology at Whitworth University, where she specializes in early church history. If you were to ask her more about this, she would tell you particularly about spiritual formation in the early church, the history of biblical interpretation, John Chrysostom, early Christian understandings of virtue, really cool things. And fun fact about Samantha, she teaches here at Whitworth an 8 a.m. demonology course. And one of my favorite things is to hear students talk about how they roll out of bed first thing in the morning, head straight into Samantha's presence and talk about demons. Not only is she a killer scholar and professor, she also cares deeply for God, the church and her students formation. So listen in. Hey, Samantha. Hi. Hello. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh. Well, to those listening, I'm friends with everybody that I interview, but Samantha's like a real, we would have this conversation over dinner and like actually talk about these things, friend. So this is just our listeners getting to join that conversation that maybe we would have normally. Yeah. So. Or even kind of have. Or even kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, these are things Samantha and I think about a lot, which is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, Samantha, is just because you are somebody who obviously I trust or friends. So this I knew this would be fun. But also I I think I I trust you to speak on this topic because I know you know a lot about theology and the church. Like you're very learned, obviously, but you also have a deep love for the church, which we'll get into this a little bit later, but Unfortunately, those things don't always go together in our world in kind of the academic theological realm. So that's why I've asked you to come here and why I kind of trust your voice on this. So thank you for willing to be a part of the conversation. No, thanks for the invitation. I'm delighted. Yay. Okay. Well, easy start. Let's just talk about your experience in the church. Anything that you would kind of describe as your story um, with the church from either growing up until now or kind of how you got to where you were? How has the church played a role in that? Yeah. Um, I grew up in the church. So mm -hmm. Redeemer United Methodist in Lansing, Michigan or DeWitt, Michigan, actually. And I like I was baptized. I have pictures. I don't remember it. But, you know, from like however many, however many months old, I was baptized. <laughs> and um, 
just was there was my dad was big on we will be at church every Sunday morning, Mm. like it or not. And until I was 10 ish, I did not like it. Right. I did not want to go because when you're six, what what on earth does church have to offer other than Sunday school, which was not at the same time as worship in my church. Ah, so, so you sat through the whole thing and yeah. did the fun stuff. Yep. Okay. So like there was Sunday school. I don't remember if it was before or after when I was that young, but I remember it being fun because we like did cool stuff and crafts. Yes. And you didn't like, just sit and listen. No. And then there was church. And I remember at one point telling my dad, when I'm seven, I'll sit here well. <laughs> That's cute that you had the like mental wherewithal to say, when I'm seven, I'll be mature enough. And I remember thinking when I was seven, oh crap, I should have sit older. <laughs> Because then I was held to it, but yeah. So we were we were uh, and and we were an odd family in that my mom didn't go to church, but my dad did, and so Uh my dad made my brother and I go every Sunday, and my mom always supported that, but she just would only go occasionally for special things, and then uh, grew up going you know at church for the potlucks and all the things because we're Methodist, we do the potlucks. But um, when I was eight, I went to camp for the first time to a camp Mm. in in the thumb of Michigan. And loved it. And so camp ministry is a huge part of my story and my and, and yes. it is part of the church in a way as well. And when I was there, sort of that was where God grabbed me and where I became an active participant in my faith. And that first summer I was there, something happened to me. And I, I don't even know, I can't, I don't know that I can articulate it. That's huh. sort of another part of my story. And in the year following that, I saw I had this, it was genuinely like a switch flipped like a light switch flipped in me and I wanted to go to church and I had no idea why I wanted to go to church, but I just suddenly had this desire to go. And from that moment, never fought again to go. Like I was then literally there as many times as the door was as much as they would let me be at church. I would be at church. You Um, were the church kid. I was the church kid. Yes. Um, And we didn't really have a youth group. So it was just, it was Sunday school. It was worship. And I would like try to take notes on the sermon. I'm like, my vocation should not have been a surprise to anyone. Oh, in fact, I think I was the only person who was surprised by it. But like a 10 year old taking notes on a sermon. This, <laughs> so. Yes, this is unique. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So we didn't have either group, but it was all the things. And then including like I wanted to go to the Hanging of the Greens. And my parents never went to the Hanging of What's the Greens. What's the Hanging of the Greens oh. for non-Methodist? So Hanging of the Greens is just when a church gets together and says, we have to decorate for Advent. So we're going to hang oh, all the greens. Okay. And do all the changing oh, absolutely. over the, that the seasons fun. and stuff. Yes. Right? But it was it was you know, they were just anyone who wanted to come volunteer. And I was like, we should go do that. And my parents were like, what are you talking about? We never mind. I was like, cause it's a church thing. It's my version of fun. And so I would get dropped off and like handed off to some other adult and oh. would like take me through and do the thing. Right. And I'd get to help. And I, I was that. like, I was just that kind of kid I was there all the time and had a, I had a sense of call to ministry when I was in high school. Um, I wanted to be an astronaut and Jesus decided I should be a pastor. And, or in ministry, really. At the time, uh-huh. I was 14. I thought it meant pastor. And then through college and seminary, discerned that it was really the classroom was going to be my ministry. It was where God was calling me. But with this deep love for church. Mm-hmm. And so from that point, um, we moved when I was in high school. It was, an, it was a new church, First United Methodist in Gaylord. And um, that these were, these were still the places, though, that shaped me and mm-hmm. that were really important. And I had a youth group at my new church in high school. And... Um, I just continued to be part of it in, in genuinely every way that I could, including the weird things that my kids my age were not doing. They were always, both of them were older churches generally, but you know, Good Friday the church would be open for prayer, and I'm like, I will go pray, like it's part of the prayer vigil wow. with people. And yes, um, you know, 
I could drive. That was not a problem anymore. And this, these sorts of things. Yeah. So even then in college, I was the kind of student who was, our chapel had a Sunday night service. I was at Hope College and it was a lovely Sunday night worship service. But I was like, that is not church. It's great. I go every week and I must find a church for Sunday morning because ah. Sunday morning you go to church. Yes. Um, and so it was the the rhythm of that. that yeah. Thought, as well as probably leaving campus and finding yeah. another community yeah. of people that yeah. you still felt drawn to. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and some of that is things like my father's insistence every year after prom, we would see the two or three kids who would come straight from probably like stayed up all night and come in their tuxes and, and dresses or whatever to church, to on church the next morning. And oh, my dad would go, that's fantastic. He goes, if you're man or woman enough to get up with, or to stay up all night, then you're man or woman enough to get up and go to church in the morning. Mm. And <clears throat> it's not a great attitude really for church, but <laughs> it does mean just I go to church every it. Sunday. Yes. <laughs> it's just a commitment. Like you don't ask. Yeah, or not, you, just you, just, do it. you just do it. It's just part of it. Yeah. And so, so yeah, in college, I found a community to be part of and went to Third Reform, just down the street from campus mm. and um, just got to be part of it. And, and again, found ways to contribute and not just receive, um, even though they had college group and they had all the things where they wanted to feed the students and, and all of that. So part of that in, in seminary then was probably insufferable, like all seminarians. Um, you know, I did internships and... Right. And you and I went to the same seminary. We did. You, you would have done internships as well. And, yes. Uh, mine, I had one at a very rural church and then one at a much larger urban church. And both felt very unfamiliar to me. I had done an internship in college for a semester at a, at a church in D.C., Washington, D.C. And it was my first experience of super liberal Protestants. And yes. It was You've told me about that. Eye-opening. Yeah. And so good for me. And then I did these sort of North Carolina parishes, rural, yeah, very, very rural, very conservative, very different, mm. and discerned that's not where I was called to ministry. Yeah, it was going to be the, the classroom. The classroom. Um, yeah, tell me more about that. So. I mean, I'm particular. Yeah, we share some similarities in story. I mean, you went on and did the whole dissertation, and now are a bona fide scholar. Um, but the transition into studying theology, still being a part of the church, like how, how did those things intersect for you? Did you feel like studying theology pushed you deeper into the church? Do you feel like there was tension there ever? I think both. Yes. To both. Yes. Um, I, I've always been a fairly intellectual person. And so even in high school, like in youth group stuff, it was always, I had questions and adults around me didn't always have answers or didn't always mm -hmm. want me to have me questions. Yeah. Sort of, there's a sort of anti-intellectual streak, not, not entirely, but in some, some realms. And I had a really great youth pastor who said, well, let's just do Bible study together. Like this stuff isn't meeting your needs. Let's just do it together. And, um, and so for me, the more I learned, the deeper I go into the church, the deeper mm. I, I like these, this is what Christ calls us to be is we are the body of Christ and we are called to be this community. And so I get pulled deeper into, yeah, this is what it's supposed to be and deeper, deeper. Yeah. And there is always that tension of not everyone knows these things. And there are things that I've now learned theologically that sometimes feel separating or that sometimes... Because a lot of times people in churches and, and, and this is where I've learned to do this better. My church, when I was in grad school in Milwaukee, was really good at letting me figure out how to be a theologian in the church. Oh, how, how are they, how did they support you in that? They kind of gave me space to figure out when I was saying things I shouldn't say. 
and they loved me anyway. What would like, what's a version of you saying things you shouldn't say? Like if you were bringing in two sort of like heady intellectual things they didn't think was relevant or what did that mean? Yeah, kind of right. Like there, I, there's a tendency, at least I have, I'm sure there are others who do this. The more I learn, the more I forget that people are humans and Ah. that sometimes there are other concerns than just the knowledge. Sure. So it's one thing for me to say, but this is the right theology. And for someone to say, okay, yes, and this person needs support right now. Like, there's another way. You don't need uh, to say that right now. Yes. You, like, these are the things. Um, have you, did Ooh, you ever read good. Helmut Tielke's A Little Exercise for Young Theologians? Yes, right? it's one of my favorites. So, yeah. so I read this in college, actually. A professor said, you have to read this <laughs> because it's coming. <laughs> and, it, and it's just this image of this first-year seminarian, this first-year theology student who comes back with all the knowledge and none of the soft skills. None of, uh, none of the, yes. like how to be a human. Mm. And I think I needed to learn how to be a human yes. a lot. And and I only sort of got that in my internships in seminary. And I think partly it's because you're never really part of a community when you're in an internship. You drop in for a little bit of time. So there were three years where I wasn't really part of a church. Mm. And then I went back to being in a church and it was a lot of learning how to sit there and, and not critique a sermon while I, while I listen yes. and how to be friends with the pastor and to learn that that's a gift I can offer as a theologian, especially in a single uh, pastor church, uh-huh. and figure out what to say and what not to say, and and when to bring in the knowledge and when to let everyone else have their thoughts, because that's part of their figuring out in their faith, and when to when to realize that person's faith is probably deeper than mine, even if they don't know the things I know, and learn oh, to start recognizing. So, so they just gave you space, and sometimes corrected you i imagine or sort of yeah although i don't remember any specific like explicit corrections yeah it was all much more gentle than that it was all much more yeah gentle it was a great gift for you to be a part of that it really was yeah because i think i mean i think of my own experience and also other friends who were you know studied theology and gone to the church and uh, they either just were not interested in doing that sort of transition work or there wasn't, it didn't feel like it was welcome or there was space for it. So what a gift for you to enter a community that said, okay, you need some soft skills, some formation here. We're going to walk alongside you and help you do that. I totally understand the like sitting and critiquing a little. I mean, like I I attend a church that like I've chosen and so I like it Mm -hmm. reasonably well. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I can kind of turn that critical Mm -hmm. lens off but whenever like josiah and i will go to a church in his hometown where he grew up or if we go on a church on vacation Mm -hmm. it just feel like and and i wonder what you think about this part of me is like oh that's such a a terrible thing and as somebody who i mean think of our listeners too as people who have studied theology ministry leaders or even just people who care a lot about this stuff and learn and read and have opinions like it's not necessarily a bad thing to come into the church with that knowledge, right? Like we don't mm-hmm. think that that's a deficit. We study it because <clears throat> we think it's a benefit to the church and it brings us into loving God, things that you've mentioned. Yeah. So I think sometimes I feel tempted to say, okay, turn that off completely. You just need to be in the space and worship. But then also it, it's a gift that we have to steward that we can say, oh, I wonder if that coheres with that or that feels a little strange to me or I, I guess sometimes I struggle kind of navigating how to hold that as a gift but not be too critical. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think I started learning it at that church. I'm not done learning that. Yeah, maybe that's even maybe a that's little a bit. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not even a little bit done learning that. Because <laughs> I, I then spent a few years uh, at an institution before that, before Whitworth, and I never really found a church there it, because it's a, it's, it's the kind of, it's a rural-ish, post-industrial place in the Midwest that has a. Whatever denomination the church is, it kind of all has the same feel. It kind of mm-hmm. all has a similar theological bent that is not necessarily mine. And so it is a lot of learn. Okay, nope. I thought I had learned a lot of this, and apparently I had not. I am mm-hmm. critiquing everything again. And so how do I hold this as gift, and how do I not? And, <sighs> and how do I? And some of that is, like I learned when I can be friends with the pastor, it's okay. Maybe Sunday morning is not the time to say, I have a question about your sermon. <laughs> because it's exhausting to preach. I've preached like it's, it's right afterwards. It's, they have to enter a yeah. theological debate with you. Like it's yeah. not what they want. It's yeah. not, not great at timing. But if we're friends, there can be another point where we can say, "This is really interesting. Let's talk about this." Oh, I love that. Well, that was going to be something I asked you: is yeah. when you have disagreements, or when it feels like, hmm. yeah, what does that look? It sounds like you, you know, maybe you have a friendship with the pastor, approach the pastor. What does it look like when? Like I just imagine like being a part of small groups or things like that. When, as you talked about, you're trying to leave space for other people to learn and have different opinions. Like what's that experience like for you to sort of sit with the, like maybe, Ooh, I feel like I know better, or I don't know if I agree with that. It's just being a part of community. I don't know. What's, what's that piece like for you? I had two radically different experiences of that in churches. So at my church in Milwaukee, we had a Wednesday night Bible study and Bible study and it was every Wednesday the whole five years I was there and it was amazing and the mm-hmm. pastor was part of it and he sort of ostensibly led it but it was really an open he just really facilitated here's a space here's some questions here's a text and he's a resource and we, and we talk but he really was trying to get us to talk also my church in Milwaukee was very small and very overeducated I feel like that's important to uh-huh. <laughs> different important context yeah, yeah absolutely um, and so that was a space where as I was learning these things, I didn't always feel like I had to bring in every last piece because the things people were bringing out were really interesting. And it was facilitated mm. in a way that I could see, oh, this is a way of interpreting too. It's it's more midrashic. It's more, what is God doing with us in this text right now? What is being brought up? And sometimes there are questions that I might be able to answer or the pastor is trying to answer. Or I have now been told by friends who I, I'm still friends with there, that one of the more entertaining parts for them was watching the pastor and I just debate <laughs> some of these things. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> because we don't agree on everything. Yeah. And apparently they loved watching this and learning from it and, and uh, seeing what happened. And yeah, it wasn't necessarily bad or hostile or no, terrible. It was no, it was just like experience. Yeah. It was like two, you know, friends, like goodwill toward one another. It wasn't a heated argument or debate. It was just a like we think differently on these and we're having a conversation. I love that. And so I think there's a way to do that. That felt really good. That felt mm-hmm. like this is an easy space. And that was part of my learning. I was in grad school. That was a learning how to be in that space on that one. Um, at my previous institution, at one of the churches I had tried, had one of these small groups. The pastor was not leading it. It was a lay person. And it was, it was one of those where there was a lot of bad information or about a lot of bad theology going around. And that was a much different experience of trying... I was trying to learn. I wanted to become part of the community. And so it was a lot of just trying to make friends for me. It's not about learning these things, whatever the Bible study was in the same way. I'm not, I don't have the same goal for that space as they did. And so I was trying to make community or be part of one. And for me, that means a lot of stepping back 
and and just letting the leader mm. be the leader. Yeah. Um, because I don't want to step on someone's toes. I, I want to just let it be. Even when things are really bad, sometimes it's okay. Um, sometimes when it's done in good faith, sometimes when it's, oh, this is really, this is drawing these people closer to Jesus. And I can see that happening. And it doesn't seem like they're being drawn away from Jesus. Even, even if, okay, so they didn't quite say the thing about the Trinity right. They weren't, they weren't outright heretical, you know? Yeah. And so let it be, that space. And those spaces can be yeah. harder, both because I'm critiquing all the time, but also because a lot of times then the leader wants me to speak up. And wants uh, me to so you offer. feel like there's some responsibility. Yeah. And there's some responsibility, but there's a responsibility that also like they want that, but I don't think they know what it means if I were to start doing that because it would start to take over their job. Yeah. And so it's a conscious holding back and a conscious, if you're asking me a question, I'll answer it, but I'm not going to mm. keep jumping in. Yeah. You see like you have to be a little bit more aware of yeah. your, whether you've asked for it or not, maybe yeah. more attention or more of a role in those people might defer to you as expert. Yeah. even if you haven't. Yeah. asked for that or want to be there in that capacity yeah because there are also like churches where i'll be asked to lead a study yeah and that's one thing like okay i'll i'll lead a one-off eight-week study or something for adult sunday school or a, a an evening thing or whatever and that's like i can do those mm -hmm. from my expertise that can be a gift that can be something i offer from my vocation and from my study and then there are these other ones where if i want to be part of someone else's that's where these yes. that's where the space is harder to do it is harder. I remember I had a professor once who said he never was a participant in Bible studies. He only led them. And mm -hmm. I've thought about that a lot since, I mean, in some ways, knowing his disposition, I kind of respect him just knowing, like, I, I just can't do that. That's too hard for me. Yeah. I can't navigate that. But I, like you, have found it's very difficult for me to just be a participant, either mm -hmm. because... Uh, usually because I'm always like, well, what do I say something? Do I not? And I feel a little more attention, but I do think that's such a formative piece for us that we need is yeah. recognizing when to hold back and not say things and to affirm in other people. Like, especially when you're talking about things like faith, like being an expert or going to school doesn't always mean you're better at this thing. You yeah. know, <laughs> like we find out more about God when we're in conversation with one another and yeah, you go to school and you learn helpful things and you learn more about God and that's so necessary, but it's important to be the person who says like, no, like you talk about your experience or what do you see in the text? It's more about like you're saying, kind of fielding that space instead yeah. of holding it, which yeah. can be difficult. Yeah. And yeah. if the Holy spirit really is involved in our interpreting and not only in the writing, then, then yes. there is space for someone to say, I'm seeing this. And as long so, I do early church studies, right? And so for me, I think of Augustine's, um, the, his way of describing how you interpret scripture is lots of different pieces, but the piece that, that is that has been most helpful for me on this has been, he's got, he's a, basically like a big field. If you're headed toward Jesus, you're all right. Hmm. Like that's where the scripture is all about pointing you to Jesus. And scripture is, Jesus is also the way you get to Jesus in scripture. It's a whole thing. But it's almost like he's got boundaries on that field. And the boundary, he says, as long as an interpretation engenders the love of God and the love of neighbor, it's a good interpretation. Uh, yeah. If it hinders the love of God and the love of neighbor, it's a bad interpretation. Mm. And so most of the time in Bible studies, I don't hear anything except interpretations that are engendering love of God and love of neighbor. Mm. And so as long as that's as long as it's within that field. And I can remember that, then I don't have to jump in as often. Then I yeah. can say, yeah, this is what the Holy Spirit is saying to this person right now. Mm. 
and that is there. And is that the final interpretation? No. But should we all interpret like 19th century Germans? No, we should also not do that. <laughs> <laughs> Scripture's more alive it than is. historical criticism will, will allow, if it that's is. the only thing you ever use. Right, right. Which is why, I mean, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth here, but I think you'd agree, which is why being a part of the church while you're a theologian is so important. Like yeah. you, you need to be within that community that's continually interpreting and forming one another. Um, and praying. And I think praying. that's the other piece is this, this piety, this, just because I've learned the things doesn't make me the most faithful person in the room. Uh, yes. And having had to learn that actually it's the people who pray. It's, it's usually the grandmothers in the church. It's a little stereotypical, but it kind of usually is. Yeah, yeah. They're the old faithful the women who are yeah. the ones who pray all the time. Mm. They're the ones who are actually closer to Jesus than I am mm. because they're talking to him all the time. Mm. So I think about this now. When I was in high school, there's a woman named Rosemary at my church who at the time must have been in her late 70s, early 80s, who once told me, I feel like I was getting ready to preach that day or something. And she just told me, Every every day she goes for a walk with Jesus in the woods. Like we lived in northern Michigan in the woods. And she's like, Yeah, I go for a walk with him every day. And in the winter, he refuses to wear socks. And I keep asking if his feet are cold in those sandals. <laughs> and she but she genuinely meant it. She went yeah, for a walk with Jesus her every day huh. as a companion and just talked with him. And it was so real. And at the time, I kind of didn't get how beautiful it was. Wow. But I can't stop thinking about it now. It's like as she was so much more faithful than I am. And so much closer to Jesus. And so how do I look for those people? Uh, how do I yes. how do I get in on their prayer list? How do I learn how to pray from them? How do I learn how to be closer to Jesus? Because the intellect helps me. I'm an intellectual being. I that is part of how I have that is part of my piety, yeah. but it's not the whole of my piety. And I need to remember that. That that as as closer to Jesus as I can get with the study and the thinking, there's more than that that God wants from me. God actually wants the rest of me too. Mm. And they're the ones I learned that from. Wow. That's lovely. I feel a little personally convicted and I love it. No, it's so good. We, well, in I some, say these things, I don't always do them. I, right. It's, it was lovely. And no, I, you do it. You are a great example of this, but I like this just because we've talked a lot and thought a lot with some other guests about the expectations we bring to a mm. church community and I think one of those can be whether you're a theologian or a ministry leader or just somebody who kind of knows what you think about things is the expectation that everybody here is has to agree. Like I have to be able to stand for everything either the pastor says or the people say. And if there's something that doesn't agree with me in my sort of theological particulars or what I want the church to represent, I can't be a part of that. I actually, maybe this is a good place to transition to talk more about students. I see that a little bit more mm -hmm. in this generation of sort of, Ooh, that church can't represent me because we don't agree on X, Y, Z. And I know there's important things, you know, there's non-negotiables and negotiables there, but I love that. I will take that away from this conversation too, is that thought of, yes, those things are important, but we need to sort of hold those expectations with what the church is going to expect of us, which is to learn mm -hmm. from Rosemary, mm -hmm. um, to sit at the feet of people who know jesus in ways very different than us um maybe harder to do than to say to actually leave mm -hmm. space for all of those differences those mm -hmm. uncomfy times when you disagree and want to say something or are critical and but 
it sounds like kind of holding yourself back at times to also experience the beauty of everybody being a part of that. Maybe easier said than done, but very compelling. Like that's a compelling image of what it is to be church. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, yeah, on students. Yeah. I was, I was a little discouraged this year after my church history class, church history survey this fall. A lot of the stuff I was getting in their final reflections were they loved learning about all this and now they don't want to be part of the church. And by which I think they mean organized religion. Well, I don't know that they they were going to churches Uh, anyway. But learning about it was like, now it's not off the table for me. And it is about this. They're very, this, this particular generation is very... I say that like I'm an old person. I'm not that much older than them, but I am the, <laughs> I'm the one generation removed from them. I'm yes. not there. They're the same generation. Yes, there's some difference. But there is, they're very black and white thinkers. They're not mm. really able to see a lot of nuance. And it's more so than my students maybe five years ago when I started even. Okay, right. Um, You're seeing that shift. Yeah. And I don't know what factors are going into that or whatever. And Anyway, they're, but on that black and white, and it is very much, they definitely want to belong. It's something, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but it's that yeah. something about that church can't represent me. That's what you said. Yes. And that's never the point. The church is supposed to represent Jesus. And I want to say oh. this to them all the time, right? It, they, it's, I can't go there because I don't agree with everything they say or because that church isn't isn't for me and or I don't get anything out of it. Yeah. And yeah. the point of church is not you ever. The point of church is always Jesus, has been since the beginning mm. of churches, like since Jesus. That's how it all starts. That's actually how theology starts. That's actually what really, yeah. really what I love to talk to students about is actually all theology comes out of worship. Yes. It was the fact that people were worshiping Jesus that then they said, oh, wait, maybe we have to think about how Let's he is also divine because right? we <laughs> because we're not supposed to be worshiping anyone other than this. Right. It was more of a practical issue yeah. that became theological. Yeah. theological. And so all theology follows worship. Mm. And Catholics and Orthodox do this much better than Protestants. But the whole point of worship is you're entering the heavenly realms where the worship is always going on. There's like the first five chapters of Revelation are this description of John's vision of heaven. Mm. And it's worship. The whole thing. Yeah. And... When we enter worship, we enter the sanctuary, we're supposed to be entering and participating in that worship here on earth. And it's it's a blending. It's supposed to be a thin sort of space. Mm-hmm. And Catholic and Orthodox services are built such that it's easier to imagine that, especially the Orthodox. Absolutely, right. And so, it, so you're, you're sort of already put into the mindset that that's what's happening. So it's all about Jesus. It's not about you at all. And then Protestants have for a number of historical reasons, have made a sermon more of the focus and more intellectual. It's more about learning. It's more about what do I get? It's more lecture than, you know, Mm -hmm. and that has changed it such that we forget that sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's more easy to forget it. And so then we walk away going, okay, but I didn't get anything or this isn't where I belong because I don't agree with everything. Right. Versus I entered into the community that's worshiping God and I'm participating in that. Yeah. And that doesn't mean mm. not to be discerning. If it's a, if it's a space where you're not safe, yeah. don't stay there. Yeah. Or if you leave angrier than you came, consider what you might have to discern why it may be that you need to work something out, mm. but it also may be that it's just not a good fit. Like yeah. you shouldn't leave worship angry every, no, every you week. Should not. <laughs> you should not. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's where I would start. No, I think that's, yeah, it's so different than, I mean, how I've been tempted to think, but how I've seen in student and just younger adults too, yeah. sort of the like, 
Well, and I think if you pair it with in America or more consumer culture, like yeah. I'm looking for the place that meets yeah. my needs yep. where I, everybody agrees with me on this, where they're talking about this, this, and this issue. Um, it's yes. I love that switch. It's not about the church representing me perfectly because I think there is more of a, uh, this sense of if, if I say that I'm a part of this church, then I'm agreeing with everything they do. It's sort of like I put my stamp of approval on it. And maybe this is sort of intensified by that sort of Instagram culture where you can really cultivate an image for yourself of like, oh, I'm going to share this post so you know I care about this. Or I'm going to share this so you know that I stand behind this. Like there feels like there's more of a, a reticence to just say, I'm a part of the church in general, or I'm attached to this specific church. Because mm -hmm. then if anyone says something there they don't agree with or something happens that they don't like. It feels like there has to be a public like, oh, well, I'm, mm -hmm. I don't stand for that anymore. That church doesn't represent me. I love that flip. Well, what does it mean for me to just be a part of the church that represents Jesus and do imperfectly all the time? Very imperfectly. <laughs> yeah. Like I think when students are doing that, they seem to forget that they're human too. That right. like, do you represent Jesus perfectly? Yeah. Yeah. Which when they think about it, they would say, no, of course they don't. Yeah. But they also kind of believe they do. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, oh, I believe. And I believe yeah. I do. Sometimes. Oh, I do too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. I'm, I'm always too. right. Yes. Yeah. Jesus is always on my side. <laughs> always. The church of one. <laughs> right. Which is something one of my friends spent a few years as a, as a novitiate in the Benedictine order before he discerned against final vows. But his mm -hmm. way of talking about communities, you know, community is a place where they get to ask you to change. And so it's different yes. from friendships. You and I and, have talked about this a lot. Yeah. But, but in fact, a church can ask you to change. My church in Milwaukee could ask me to be a little bit more understanding and compassionate. Yeah. And that was good. And that was good. But in the moment, yeah, probably at times it didn't feel like, no, yeah. well, I'm going to stick it out here. It'd be easier to just leave and go to a place where I'm yeah. appreciated as the sage resident theologian. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. There's some sticking power required, which is mm -hmm. hard to cultivate, especially with younger adults who I think aren't convinced. Even students here study theology aren't convinced that they want to be a part of this in general. You know, yeah. they just tend to be a little more critical. So, and some of that is like they, like the students I had in church history, is because they learned all this stuff, the terrible things the church has done. Right. Which we need to talk about and learn about. We, absolutely. It. Yeah. We need to repent mm -hmm. of it and not do it more. Yeah. And they've learned that and they're like, I don't want to be attached to that. And I, I wonder if it's related to that. I hadn't really thought about it, but I wonder if it's related to that. The church doesn't represent mm -hmm. me then. Yeah. I just, I just noticed that trend of sort of, it's, it's hard to put my name behind something mm -hmm. that I don't fully agree with. Yeah. I think maybe it's connected to cancel culture a bit of like, yeah. oh, if I'm, I'm not for that. I am for the yeah. black and white thinking that you're talking about. Yeah. I just think it's more. Because they're all right with Jesus. They all want to follow Jesus, yeah. but they don't want to be part of a church at all. And mm -hmm. that's just not how it works. It isn't. I remember when I left for seminary, all of my professors said, above all else, you have to find a church. Yeah. Like, I will give you no other advice, but you have to anchor yourself in a church. And mm -hmm. I do feel like, at least for me, during that period of my life, the church was what kept me grounded. Because mm. um, I don't know how many of our listeners have been to seminary, but that it can be a crazy place sometimes. And you need... The rosemary's to remind you of what it means to follow Jesus yeah. as good as seminary can be too. What would, 
what would your, maybe what is, or what would your encouragement be to young adults or students these days? People who are maybe not sure, maybe lack that sticking power when it comes to being a part of a church. Uh, I mean, to, to just do it, just pick one just and go, right? Yeah. Like, like I, I feel like it's my advice to them in a lot of realms right yeah. now. <laughs> just write the paper. Just, <laughs> yeah. just yep. go to a church. Um, just do it. Go to one. Mm-hmm. If if you're there and, and it really isn't something you can do, then try another one. But start by just going mm-hmm. to one. Yeah. And if it is something you feel like you can do, go back to the same one. Don't try to just don't try them all out to see what's right. Don't find the best one, right? Mm-hmm. It's if you're if you're dating a person and you've dated long enough and you feel like this is a person you want to spend your life with. You don't need to break up and go try other people to compare and see if they really were the best one. <laughs> That's such a good analogy. You just, right. you just enjoy the one you're trying. Yeah. Keep going. And you keep going. Mm. And so you don't need to, don't try all the churches and find the perfect one. Go to a church. And if it seems, if it's, if it's not actively making you angry, hmm. keep going. Yeah. And when you get to a point where you think, Am I sure about this? Stay a little longer. Wait it out and see if something changes because there will always be a friction point. Mm. Especially in the beginning. Like you'll have a period that's pretty good and then you'll have a period of, I don't know about this and now I'm seeing all the things that aren't perfect. Yeah. And you got to try and get through that part and see if there's something on the other side. And if there's not, then go find mm-hmm. something but else. But give it time. I love but that. But give it six yeah. months. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was that was sort of my way of dealing with it when I was having trouble finding a church in the last place I lived was I stuck with a place for about six months, six or seven months. And when I was hearing my friends who I was talking to about it saying, you know, I really think you might be time to move on. Mm. That was okay then. So give it some time and do it. But just go, just decide to do it and be part of the community. And I think the other one is actively be part of the community and participate because it's not all about you. So where can you plug in and do? Don't just look for the one that has young adult ministries where you can right. receive, Good. Yeah. but actually contribute. Where can you step in and do something serve. and serve? And then you're part of the community. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Okay. I've got a final question for you. When What's an experience where you felt like the church is where you belong? So it's related to that last piece for me. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking about it because you told me ahead of time that I was going to answer this question. <laughs> and so I was thinking <laughs> so a lot about it. I was like, time. well, I've got all these like, memories or experiences were like yeah i belong because someone was taking care of me or because like this was a really wonderful moment or um you know when when i was 12 and wanted to go to the hanging of the greens and mrs olsen took like took me along that's belonging (laughs) right there yes but it really was i think the ones that mattered more were the ones where i contributed so it was in college teaching the sixth grade sunday school class you'd be so good at that i was less good then (laughs) You'd be so good at it now. I was 20. <laughs> and and one of those students is now one of my really good friends. And oh, sweet. She doesn't let me forget how bad I was. Sweet. <laughs> and, Keeps um, you humble. Or in Milwaukee, we would do this potluck and Bible study, but it was a potluck. And that was really significant to me because mm-hmm. as a grad student, I, I got taken care of a lot. They gave me a job. They let me be their janitor. They let me do some wedding setups and stuff so I could eat. Um, the pastor and his wife would often just bring me bags of groceries because I was a grad wow, student and I yeah. didn't have a lot of extra. Yeah. But at a potluck, I got to bring something. I got to contribute. And so sitting around that table with everyone and we were all sharing what we had brought, mm. that felt like community and belonging. 
before when we did this big Christmas event at the church and they're like, would you mind re- le- uh, taking care of the food? Like they're just, they're a bunch of frozen pizzas and we need to keep them coming in and out of the ovens and up to the, up to the kids and whatever. It's like, yes, I will contribute that way. Mm. Um, or then when a friend asked me if I would keep score for her daughter's synchronized swimming meet, Ooh. because that's, it was middle school. It wasn't especially Not exciting. Very synchronized. <laughs> But it's because I'm part of a community then. I'm part uh, of the church. Something was asked of you and you got to step into that. Yeah. In oh, the ways that they so had good. taken care of me, I got to also contribute to caring for others. Care for and so I think those are the moments when I have most felt like I belong somewhere. Because mm. when some, when you're always a guest at someone's house, there's a way of being and you're being very taken care of. But when you're family, they say, you know where the glasses are, go get yourself a drink. Or, oh, that's such a good or, image. Yes. Or you're part of a family, so drive your brother somewhere. Yep. There's something expected of you to be a part of this. Yeah. And so the church is actually meant to be a family and a community, not just a bunch of friends, not just a bunch of people who have the same, you know, sports team affiliation or something. It's actually something different. And so for a family, we all contribute and participate. And I think that's, I don't know, that's when I've most felt like I belonged. That's lovely. Thank you so much. I feel like yeah. you've given me so much to think about. I so appreciate your, I know you're like, oh, I didn't say nothing. No, you did. <laughs> your wisdom is just, I'm just soaking it up. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation and for loving the church the way that you do. And I mean, personally for me, that example you shared of wanting to be a community and being around the table and all sort of, I, I associate all of that with you. You live that out. So it's lovely to hear you talk about it and live it. So thank you. Thanks, thanks for, for letting me talk about some of my favorite of things. Of course. I loved that conversation. I hope you did too. There was one point where Samantha quoted a writer, a theologian named Helmut Tielich. He wrote this brilliant little book. Um, It's called A Little Exercise for Young Theologians. I would highly recommend it if you haven't read it. There is a part towards the end of this tiny book where Tielich likens the work of theology to working in a mineralogical lab. Um, the work of studying rocks and mountains and foliage, of taking notes or observing. And essentially, Tilik says that this doesn't give you real knowledge about mountains, that you actually learn about mountains when, and this is a quote from Tilik, you yourself climb the mountains and breathe the air up there. Unquote. He says we can essentially dry up in laboratories in studying that raw material instead of climbing up the mountain and finding life, finding true knowledge there. His point, I think, is that those of us who call ourselves theologians, those of us who spend a lot of time thinking or articulating or deciding what we believe and why, that that we're doing important work, but this work in and of itself doesn't always lead to deep communion with God. Instead, we need to be studying theology or or doing this work of research, of classification, of study in what Tielich calls a congregation of Christian students. The word congregation is key. We can learn the stuff, we can pull and prod the theological concepts, we can have great discussion. And for many of us, like Samantha mentioned, these conversations are worthwhile ones that do push us towards God. But we can't just stop there. We have to climb the mountain. 
We have to breathe the air up there. We have to be in the presence of God. And that's what the congregation of students, the church, can help facilitate. A space to be with God. A place to meet fellow climbers or guides to help lead us up the mountain. The church can give us a reminder to linger for a while to experience the deep life that comes from living with God and one another. So maybe take some time to breathe, to pray, and to consider. Do you have mountain guides, mountaineering guides in your life? If so, who are they? These might be people like Rosemary was for Samantha, who who know the way up the mountain, who usher you into being with God. And another question, what spaces in your life inspire you or encourage you to get out of the lab, to get out of the books and make the climb to be with God? And if you can't think of any spaces, what next steps could you take to put yourself in the path of fellow climbers who might encourage you along the way? My prayer for us today is that God would use our knowledge and our convictions to drive us toward himself and towards one another, and that the Spirit would guide us to encourage each other to soak up the presence of God together. Thanks for listening. We are a new podcast, so we would encourage you to like, to subscribe, to leave a review. And if you found today's conversation helpful, please share it. We would love to add your and your friend's voice to the conversation. You can find us online at whitworth.edu slash OCE or on Instagram at OCE Whitworth. We are so looking forward to being back next week and talking more as we continue to dive into where it is that we belong. See you soon.